Hello and welcome to the Black Women's Wellness Podcast. I'm Deja Love, and this is a podcast where we amplify Black women's voices as we discuss the many ways we manage stress and maintain our well-being. We want to ensure that all Black women live productive, meaningful, and robust lives unhinged by stress. The goal of this podcast is not to perpetuate the myth of perfection, but to show progress by engaging in conversations with the diversity of Black women and hear their stories on how they keep their wellness and manage stress. This is an authentic podcast by Authentic Women. We are excited that you have joined us and that you're listening to today's episode. So sit back, relax, and let's get into the episode. I say this every time, but I'm really excited. I'm joined by Dr. Courtney McClooney. We are really excited to have you here as we're going to dive into the topic of how Black women can create a fulfilling and rewarding life including a sustainable career that centers rest. Dr. McClooney, how are you today? I am doing well, Deja. I am feeling centered uh, and oh. feeling like I could always use more rest, but yeah. I'm grateful and content <laughs> for the rest that I have. So thank you for having me. So excited for this conversation and so grateful to you for creating this platform so we can ideate and imagine and create the lives that we want as Black women. It's so great. Yes. Yeah, I'm excited. I have many questions for you. I just want to get into <laughs> it. And All right. we love to start off every episode with the same question. And for you, Dr. McClooney, I mean, your background is just you are pedigreed and credentialed. I mean, folks can Google Dr. Courtney McClooney and you'll see all the things <laughs> and articles and accomplishments. And so we don't want to get into that. But given that holding space for all that you've accomplished and all that you've yet to, you know, your small business owner, your director of workplace inclusion and diversity, your you have your doctorate in psychology, you you have a lot. How are you, you know, as you're recovering from your own burnout and overwork, how do you personally prioritize your own wellness, your rest, your joy, your healing amidst the many demands that try to pull us into the toxic grind culture? Mm -hmm. That's such a great question. And, and honestly, it took a lot of time to get to know myself mm -hmm. and to really understand what it is that brings me joy, what brings me pleasure what captures my interest and attention. And really it's younger Courtney and, mm. and really listening to my inner child to help answer some of those questions. And by by spending a lot of time trying to get to know me, mm. I helped it helped me to lean into what my actual core values and beliefs are mm. and figuring out ways to live those every day. How do I integrate my desire for uh, rest, for example, and that looked like practicing four-day work week, some days, some weeks, three days, <laughs> just really making sure that I set aside time to rest and relax every day, to do nothing, to, to really get grounded in my body and my breath. Um, and I think too about all the people I have in my community and my life that helps to remind me to take care of myself, like my mm -hmm. therapist. Uh, I work out with uh, personal trainers sometimes or just in group settings, um, but also like my hairstylist and my mm -hmm. friends just checking in on each other. And I feel like all of those um, people in my life, but also just getting to know myself and what brings me joy, all of that really helps me 
to experience that rest and healing and and wellness as as the world continues to happen, as as life continues to life, as me and one of my best friends right. say all the time, life is lifing. So how yeah. are we staying grounded as as it's going on around us, but also still being active participants in it, like setting the boundaries, setting the time mm-hmm. uh, to be with myself, and then I really am enjoying that. Oh, that's wonderful. And you, I mean, you said about your community around you, from your hairstylist to your personal trainer to your friends or creating a space to really hold you accountable and be uh, accountability. I think, as you know, I mean, during this pandemic, we have seen all time high of uh, anxiety, depression, loneliness, isolation, certainly, you know, the increase, the national average of death by suicide, all of these are the highest we've seen. And it just makes me think, how were you able to create such a safe space for you when there are so many people that are challenged to find that community? Yeah. I think part of that creation of a safe space um, was realizing that I alone cannot heal. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think um, too often in the wellness space and self-care spaces, it's assumed Mm -hmm. that it's an individual endeavor. And I had to realize my own limitations, right? I, I can do my hair in a very basic style, but there's someone else who can scratch that scratch right in that kitchen area <laughs> better than I can. And it, to me, was worth the time and investment to invest in myself by seeking that help from other people. Um, so it's like, I know I can physically move my body on my own, but what would it look like to be in community with other people who are also moving their bodies and to encourage each other along the way? Um, and, you know, thank thankfully for telehealth when it comes to qualified therapists who know what they're doing. Um, I I do think that was a game changer with creating more accessibility to mental health services. And I I don't want that to disappear as we're trying to figure out where we are now in the state of the world um, as people are trying to get back to normal. Mm -hmm. These are some of the parts of normal that I hope we never return to, which is people not having access to mental health professionals on a regular basis and trying to increase more access to that, uh, I think will help to address a lot of those issues that you brought up. Um, but it, it did also require being really vulnerable with myself mm-hmm. and shedding some of those expectations or beliefs that I think have been preached to me, especially as a Black woman throughout most of my life. Like I'm supposed to be a career woman who's also extremely romantic and the best friend <laughs> ever who also knows how to slay her hair and cook and do all these other things. It's like, oh, no, that's impossible. Right. I'm good at these things over here and these other things. I'm going to need support. <laughs> and, oh, yes. uh, and so how can I you know, be honest with myself and be really mm-hmm. vulnerable with myself that no, no, I know I can do these things, but this, this is better. And, and I deserve better. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so therefore let me start building community in these other spaces. I think that's, that's really where that came from. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that you are highlighting that there is this external demand that's often placed upon black women to have it all, you know, to aesthetically be just with the nines, beat face, everything. And then also your, your educational attainment in your career. And it just, I love what you're saying. That is an impossible expectation that is really breaking us. You know, everyone says, you know, black don't crack. Well, we do crack from the inside. Yes, and, we do. <laughs> and what you're saying is just we we're putting in this demand that's just unreasonable. I love that you highlight that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, my body cannot let me lie. Yeah. <laughs> my body will <laughs> not lie. 
It's like, oh, I can handle all these things. And why am I sick all the time? Why am mm. I you know, so exhausted? I, I am not getting restful sleep. I am getting exhausted sleep, right? It's like, that's, that's not the quality of life that I, that I want to live. Um, and it also denied the, the brilliance and shine in my sisters and in other people in my life who do have these skills and talents. I'm like, rather than me trying to compete with you mm. and let me, let me slay just as much as you, actually, girl, can you help me over here? And I'll help you with these other things. Like we can be in this community together, right? If, if that's our ultimate desire, rather than thinking we have to continue to, to compete against each other for mm. these false goals that, that right. society has put in front of us. Yeah. Yeah. But how that, and I'm going to stick to that piece. How were you able to get to the piece of what what you just said, not viewing it as competition, but collaboration and partnership? Because sometimes it is, I'm not even talking about white supremacy and what whiteness is going to be, but I'm talking about us as black people that sometimes we can be, and we have a podcast episode about that black folks who are in the sunken place who are ideologically white And it is hard to discern, swim in the seas of who is a Black person that will really be with you in community. Because too often we do. And and I know that, you know, given grace, that's a trauma response. That's because of us being in this white supremacist society Mm -hmm. that we view another Black person sometimes as a competition. I mean, what words would you recommend? Because that is really hard for a lot of people, you know, to find that. It is. And I can unfortunately speak to my own experiences of being burned by other Black women, sometimes Mm -hmm. Black men too, uh, in my career, in, in personal life. And it hurts. It hurts in a different way than when you expect other people not to have your back or to undermine you. But when that's happening in your own community, it, it does create a, a new kind of pain and ripple. Unfortunately, I think a lot of our institutions have also continued to allow that hurt to happen. I think about church hurt. I think mm-hmm. about, you know, the various hurts we've experienced um, in schools. Yeah. And this is where conversations around, I think, colorism become really prevalent and aware, all these different issues that we have with our own bodies that internalize, you know, inferiority and how we you know, push that onto other people. Um, so I think getting to that piece, it, it really did come back to uh, being comfortable being myself in a room full of others, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. we can all be here collectively, but, and we need to make room for all of us to be ourselves mm-hmm. in this space that mm-hmm. we are in collectively. Um, shout out to Issa Rae for putting that language into our our sphere. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was right, my coming of age moment of embracing that awkward black girl, nerd, Mm. whatever, like all these other dimensions. And her kind of showing us through her media portrayals that there is this like archetype of a perfect black woman. Mm -hmm. And then there's all these different ways that that is breaking down. And then our insecurities become more prevalent. Um, So when we start to own that, that we are all imperfect and we're on this journey together of trying to find wholeness and wellness and happiness, uh, it helps to break down, like you said, that, that belief in competition, um, and instead embrace more of those partnerships. And I feel like that's also what my business is trying to and convey. I remember mm-hmm. when I was trying to come up with a title mm-hmm. even to describe my work and I was like, partners has to be part of it. And I remember business coaches were like, well, who's your competition? And I was like, no one. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying that from a place of ego, right? right? It's right. like, I don't see 
you as a competition. I see you as someone who I haven't figured out how to partner with yet. Right. As we continue in this in this journey of creating more equity, creating more uh, opportunities for wellness and wellness and care systems. Right. It's like we are partners. We are co-journers on this Mm -hmm. uh, together. And when when I am allowed to be more vulnerable and embrace my own insecurities Mm. and imperfections, I'm able to better see that in others and better, like you said, are able to offer the forgiveness and grace um, and boundaries. (laughs) Boundaries boundaries are my new love language. It's like, I love you, girl. Over there, like, like we can, <laughs> you can be a partner with me over there. You don't, mm. you don't have to invite people in. Um, I think we're we're getting to the space where we're starting to redefine what we mean by grace and boundaries, yeah. um, especially in Black communities where there's a lot of healing that still mm. needs to happen. And you are allowed to, as you go through your own healing, set those boundaries with folks as they go through their own healing. Mm. Like you don't have to continue to take on that burden of everyone's healing work. I think that actually reflects the role that Black women have been placed in society so many times. Like we are the mules of everybody, not just white people, but sometimes even our own community too. Like, oh, well, if you were my real friend or if you, you know, really did care about me, you would also carry this burden for me. And it's like, no, no, we don't have to carry burdens for anyone but ourselves. And, Mm. And it's a lot, it's a heavy load. And rather than seeing it as, you know, this is mine, this is yours. We got to figure out how to be able to to flex our shoulders a little bit and share in those burdens together mm-hmm. um, and really do build that trust. But as we're building the trust, be honest with people and, and set those boundaries. I think setting boundaries can actually build stronger bonds yes. in a lot of ways, if that makes sense. I feel oh, like it I'm does. No, <laughs> it's it's wonderful. It, it completely connects just the intersectionality and how multifaceted it is. And, you know, as we're talking about in this episode, how Black women can create fulfilling and rewarding, a fulfilling and rewarding life, which includes a career that centers rest. I just love on your website and your bio about me section. And for those who haven't checked it out, we'll link it in the description. But you talk about how, and I love just how authentic you are. You publicly state that your values are leisure, rest, healing, and living in the rhythm of your menstrual cycle. I just love that. And like, I'm not (laughs) spilling the tea, y'all. This is on her website. If you Google it. I love that, just the vulnerability as you're talking about. And it to me, and I know it's going, I'm saying the same question in different ways, probably, but as you are deeply working in the private sector, which is incredibly homogenous, very racist, and then the academy, which is another layer of white supremacy and just toxic ideology, it's just how... I mean, that's a boldness in what you're living that I just don't see many people. And yeah. for it to be on your website, your about me section, you know, as you're probably competing for contracts and funding, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, that's such a radical statement. What led you to just be so, this is my brand statement and I am not willing to compromise my mm. values for white funding or whatever mm. it be. Oh my gosh, I love the way you just phrased that. Uh, you are absolutely right. I think that it, it was like, this This has to be authentically me. Mm-hmm. Um, in my research, I studied a lot of code switching and mm-hmm. how that's something that Black people do throughout their life and the various effects it can have on our body and our sense of wholeness and wellness. And I think being in those spaces for almost a decade uh, without 
clearly living into my values. It was taking a toll on my mm-hmm. physical body. As you were talking about, like black don't crack. It was like internally, we it was deteriorating and the stress was becoming real. The irritation, the I can't connect well with my family. My spirituality is all over the place. Mm-hmm. I was like, something's got to give. And um, when I started to reground myself in my physical body, I started, mm-hmm. I think with that layer and listening to my body, I realized I don't have to work against me. It's like, I'm resisting these systems, but resisting me is not, helping myself. It's serving some other purpose that's not myself. Mm-hmm. So how can I start to work with my own body, work with my own needs and values and and come at everything else that I do from that place of authenticity and wholeness and like having that deep uh, belief in myself. Like I believe I can do this in this way. I believe that I have been given the gifts and the skills and the insight and the experiences to allow me to have this type of impact on the world. And if I have that deep seated belief in myself, then there's, there's nothing, you know, I can't do or go after. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like getting it real concrete with the menstrual cycle, Mm -hmm. I realized, for example, I have low energy, I am super tired and physically in pain during Mm -hmm. some of the days of my cycle. And those would get exacerbated by sitting in meetings all day, which is Mm -hmm. very common in private sector work or teaching um, or speaking, which is something that was super common in academia. And I used to think this was normal. This is what all the women and people who menstruate have done before me. And and I'm not not anyone special. I should just grit my teeth, take this painkiller and and push through. Um, But then when I realized, like, actually, I have a say. I can cancel that meeting. I can make sure that I'm not accepting keynotes that conflict with my cycle. Very, like I map my cycle. When Mm -hmm. is it coming? You want me to give a keynote? Actually, I can't do it that week. If you still want me. I'm available when I have higher energy, which is not that weak. Um, and when I, I realized that when I allowed myself that freedom to speak my truth, mm-hmm. it starts to permeate into other spheres of my life. Now, when I'm experiencing grief, which comes and goes in waves, when I am sick or just distracted and not feeling it that day or having a human experience, mm-hmm. which, which we all will have, mm-hmm. I now have the agency to let someone know I'm unavailable for that. I am not willing to do that. Or I am excited to do this. Mm-hmm. When, when something is excited, it'll come out in how I'm speaking, what I'm bringing up, the material I'm able to deliver. It, it just all becomes in sync. But if I'm actively fighting against myself and I don't even believe in this work that I'm doing, it'll show. Right. Um, and, I, and I think that has made like such a huge difference in how I've approached like you said, the contracts, the research, the mm. who I spend my time with, who I even want money from, right? right. It's like, I don't <laughs> I don't even need your money right. if it requires me to deny some part of myself. And I, and I love that. I want that for more people who right. menstruate. Like, we deserve the right to have paid menstrual leave. Let me put yes, that out there. Yes. Paid menstrual leave. And we need resources for menstrual products in schools where mm. people are menstruating whether that's elementary school, middle school, high school, college, mm-hmm. uh, retirement homes, mm-hmm. anywhere where someone who's menstruating is showing up, they need the products, they need the security mm-hmm. and safety there, period. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. period. No, I love that. And I love, it sounds like you. there was a paradigm shift. There was something that switched for you that yeah. said, you know, sometimes when we're not just scarcity, but when we are, we are conditioned in this society that often our perspective and our own agency is not valued. And you're countering that and your business, 
you're saying, no, I am living free. And if that means that I might miss opportunities, then I will miss those opportunities because oh. my, and I just, that is, wow, Dr. McClooney, that's powerful. And I think a lot of women listening, Black women are still in that hamster wheel that are like, no, but I can't, but I have to, you know, so what do you say to those that hearing us, they're like, oh, DJ, Dr. McClooney, y'all just radical. Y'all just, <laughs> you know, but really this is for our survival that yeah. we can't pass this on to the next generation. Exactly. Yeah. We got to get to thriving mode, right? It's like, we've been on survival mode for so long. And honestly, what I've learned over over this time is we we continue to ask permission. Mm. And you talked about that paradigm shift. A couple of things came to mind for me. Mm. Uh, of course, it was like the physical breakdown and burnout of my own body. It was like mm. something needs to change because your body will not survive this. So that was that immediate survival mode. How do I get out of that physically? And then I think mentally and emotionally, I had to give myself permission to do my best work. And my best work looks like this for me, right? And, and mm. whatever that permission slip that was needed, I am a recovering good girl. Book coming <laughs> soon, right? I gotta write that book around being a recovering good girl because, oh my God, mm. deeply programmed into us um, that the only way that we deserve or will survive this life is by being a good girl. Mm. And that leads to a lot of people pleasing and a lot of, I'm afraid to ask. I don't have, I don't deserve to ask for what I'm worth. I don't deserve to, you know, take time to myself. All these things that we start questioning. Um, and so I gave myself mentally, and, and I think I heard this on a podcast too. It was like, if you need this reminder, here is your permission <laughs> to, to do what it is you need to do to be your best self and to be your favorite self too. Right. Right. My favorite self, gosh, she does not put up. <laughs> with, like, these, these horrible conditions that you know, we've been asked to do for so long, even if we're used to it, right? right, right. Therapists has helped me see like, just because you're used to a trauma, the response doesn't make it less of a trauma response, right? Mm. It doesn't make it less of a horrible situation, even if it's familiar. Right. So I had to get real comfortable with uncertainty and not knowing what will come of me naming my rates. <laughs> like mm. here is my transparent rate of what I think my business is, is worth. Here is my transparent availability. Um, I'm taking the month of July off because I need a break. Right. right. There are so many opportunities I'm going to miss out on and I don't care. <laughs> like I don't, I don't care. Um, I've set my rate at such a way and I'm continuing to refine this and experiment with this. This is my like researcher brain coming to life. Mm -hmm. Like what will happen when I set this rate? How many months out of the year am I able to not work? and still make the amount of money I need to make to be well. Mm -hmm. And what that means to be well financially and economically, I know we'll probably get into this with some of the questions. I had to really dig deep around what that means. Mm -hmm. It used to mean a certain dollar amount. To some extent, it still does. We live in a capitalist society. We have yeah. to make dollars in order to survive and to thrive. Um, but now it's so much deeper than that. It's like, to me, being able to live well means being able to be secure and safe. Mm -hmm. What does that require of me? But also, what does it require of my community? What can mm -hmm. I demand of my neighbors? Mm -hmm. What can I demand of the people who are designated by our tax dollars to protect and serve? What can I demand of my employers, the people who hire me, to ensure my safety and security? Because that's what it means for me to have to have made enough to be well. Right. right? 
And now, you know, I know we can get into that more, but that's, that's some of the like practical ways that I was able to mm. think about, you know, how, how does that come to, to life? And so even though the, the statement might be bold and radical in practice, it's, it's real everyday decisions, right? Everyday decisions along the way. Shout out to Equity by Design team too. They have a great suite of resources and webinars on how they as a whole organization have designed their their work calendar and how much they pay people and how much they charge so that everyone gets eight weeks off in the summer, Mm -hmm. so that everyone can take as many breaks and holidays that they need to and there's not like this workload pile coming back at you, nor is there this scarcity of resources because we're taking this time away from work. And I want that for everybody. I want that in everyone's life that you can choose when you go to work and how much you are working because you know your basic needs are covered. Right, right. Oh, that's wonderful. And we'll we'll get more into some of what you said because I know people, rates is always a challenging topic of, like you said, giving yourself permission to create a rate based on all of your wellness being at the center and of course all the other you know overhead all those other costs and we'll get more to this but I just have to hold space and just your ethos and your work is it really is it embodies that of the Black Women's Wellness Agency which our brand positioning statement is that Black women's wellness it's infinite you know, that it cannot be boxed in, that our joy and healing is going to look very different than a white mainstream culture. And you embody that. And this, our next question, I want to, how do you describe yourself? Because you are, you know, again, self-proclaimed on your website, you're multi-hyphenate, you do so much, you're contributing authority and all that you do. How do you describe yourself, especially when critical thinking skills, which seem to be so common, maybe back in the day, but they're really declining and folks often, it's hard to see the intersectionality. So when you're walking into spaces, what do you describe yourself as? I'm going to continue with my bold statements, I guess, but uh, I really <laughs> lean into the concept of brilliance to describe mm-hmm. myself and so many other Black people. And when I think about the the literal definition of brilliance, it's the intensity of your brightness. Mm-hmm. And add to that, it's our ingenuity and it's our expansive thinking. And I think those three components, intensity, ingenuity, expansion, I think of those as it reflection of the way that we have been forced to live in this world and how we can possibly navigate it. And, and to me, the way I see the world is that we're all very interconnected. Mm-hmm. Everything is fluid. We're constantly coming and going. It's super embodied and relational. Um, and so intersectionality as a concept and framework made a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as a Black woman, it's like, you're telling me that the world is like this, but I'm experiencing right. it. <laughs> right, right, right. In, in a way that Melissa Harris Perry has described as trying to stand up straight in a crooked room. Mm. So you're constantly questioning your own value and worth and because you yourself have been distorted mm. when what's really the problem is that the room is crooked. The education system is broken. It's not that you can't learn or are a troublemaker or you know don't have the skill set or chops to send up to some credentials that we didn't create in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's that the system by which we have decided to measure the quality or worth of your life is broken. Mm-hmm. And it's not able to handle the intensity of your brightness, right? And your ingenuity. Um, and so I think that has really allowed me to think of myself in this multi-hyphenate way because we need broader thinking in order to to move systems Mm -hmm. 
and change systems really away from their their current trajectory. I think too about my just natural inklings. <laughs> I'm very curious mm-hmm. uh, by nature, and rather than lean that into the gossip aspect of the world, <laughs> thinking about how that curiosity can better serve us as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that was always just asking questions. Like I, I tell my students all the time, ask so many questions. Don't take things for granted, especially when you see the inequality is constantly being perpetuated. Something's got to be off. Mm. There's nothing special about a particular group of people that leads to them being overrepresented in all of our positions of leadership and hierarchy mm. in society. There's nothing special about them. So that must mean that something is broken within mm. the system, right? Um, rather than just taking it at face value. Uh, and, and thankfully, you you are correct that the think, critical thinking skills are declining. Part of that, I think, is because people are too exhausted from having to work so much to spend mm. time thinking in expansive ways. So I, I know I'm very privileged to have had time and access to spend time thinking and exploring the world and different concepts. Um, but I am I am encouraged by these communities of folks that are primarily led by a lot of queer Black women, mm. uh, Black trans women, activists and healers. They're creating a lot of spaces for us to start making those radical imaginations a reality. I think about uh, Prentice Hemphill, Adrienne Marie Brown, uh, Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams. They have like some amazing programs and systems. Sonia Renee Taylor, um, Ebony, uh, oh God, why am I blanking on Ebony? Ebony Genesis at work. Uh, I think they're all just pushing the envelope even more and helping us to reimagine these broken worlds that we've inherited so we can start thinking about them in different ways, but also putting it into practice. And I, and I think that's going to mean a lot more multi-hyphenate people. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, society wants us to be narrowly focused on just one thing, to think that wellness is just one thing. Um, And we're all just striving towards that so we can create a new industrial complex. Right. Um, But when we push boundaries, like I'm a writer and I'm a napper, (laughs) what does that mean? (laughs) What does it mean to be a napper and a researcher and a writer and someone who lives in sync with their menstrual cycle. Like mm-hmm. that requires us to think just so much more expansively about, about the world. Um, right. Them all is, as like you said, relating to each other and interrelated. So I love the framework of Black Women Wellness Agency as wellness is infinite because it is. We cannot be boxed in and we shouldn't try to be boxed in. Yes. Wow. How I'm I'm really curious when other people see your bio. I mean, what is normally their response? Because it just I saw it and I said, wow, I have met my person. I just it it resonated. I, I said, say less. I get you. You need to be on the podcast. But I wonder how are other people when they when they read that and see it? What is the response? Uh, sometimes it's a lot of surprise. Like, oh, she had a PhD. She taught at an Ivy League school. And unfortunately, that is it is a big shocker. I was the only black woman in a lot of these spaces that I've been in. Um, and I was like, that's not because there's something special about me either. There, there is a broken system. There is brilliance everywhere. Mm. And I shouldn't be the only one here. Um, that being said, these systems and institutes are also designed to break us. So I think when people mm. see that mixture of interests and activities and things that I'm doing, they ask a lot of questions like, well, how are you able to do this and that? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I love. When we start asking questions, we can start seeing all the the faulty elements or the things that don't necessarily have to be true mm-hmm. that we've just taken for granted. 
Like you can be someone who is a researcher and doing this critical work and someone who likes to play mm-hmm. and and spend time with folks that they love and really just think about yourself in a much broader way. And any system that's telling you you can't do that or you shouldn't do that, Start questioning, why is that? Why do you want me to narrowly focus on this one thing? Perhaps because these skills and insights that I'm learning here will help dismantle this system of inequality that's existing in this other place. I think about these brilliant students I met at the University of Virginia they were all engineering students mm-hmm. and they realized that not only were most of their professors white or and or um, international Asian identified professors, there was very little, if any, conversation or work around social justice and change mm-hmm. within their engineering classes. Although engineers design the world, <laughs> they design mm-hmm. what we use, they design what we think is important um, or even like how our cities are built. Um, So these students, not professors, students came together and created an entire curriculum around integrating equity and justice work into engineering classes and concepts. Mm. Brilliant idea. Again, Mm. expanding those boundaries. Some engineering schools are like, you are engineer, you stay in your lane. These students were branching out and engaging in convergent behavioral science work and bringing Mm -hmm. that into um, their work as engineering students. Phenomenal. I was like, this is what we need. We need more of those people breaking out of those boxes and assuming the box is just not there (laughs) and and like moving forward in life as if they are not living in these boxes. I'm I'm very excited for future generations. They they will definitely have this going on, but I don't want them, like you said, to inherit as Black women all these things that we've been taught to try to survive these systems. I want them to start inheriting our thriving. Like what do we thrive in in this world that we live in? Yeah. Yeah. And what do you say, Dr. McClooney, too? Because the common critique I hear when, when you know, we talk about breaking these systems, redefining, reimagining, a lot of people say, well, you know, whiteness occupies power and they're, they're at the helm of funding and all of this. And so people that use that to justify this is why we need to assimilate and code switch and, you know, et cetera, all these really toxic uh, traits that only become to our detriment. What do you say to that? Because I think that seems to be a very perpetuated trope within our community that 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 maintains respectability versus mm. the world in which you're reimagining and creating, even the example you gave with the University of Virginia engineering students. Yeah. Oh God, such a good question. And it's a hard, it's a hard one it, because it is in this in this imagination, which has mostly been imagined by the power holders, mm-hmm. we are powerless. But as my therapist constantly tries to point out, we all have power. We can decide when and how we leverage it. Um, and I, there has been an increasing number of Black people in the professional private sector who talk about the liberation of choosing not to code switch anymore mm-hmm. and what that's like in their day-to-day life. And they have raised some eyebrows. There's been some, you know, uncomfortable conversations. But when they when they weigh the pros and cons and the costs of code switching or not code switching, for example, um, they realize that their own wholeness and wellness was more important than mm-hmm. um, continuing to wear these masks, these facades at work. Um, I think, too, the beautiful thing about reimagination and to see this current reality as someone's imagination <laughs> is it can always change. 
Um, so let's say that I want to shout out Telfar, for example, as a Black-owned luxury brand. Yeah, that's true. Because white people thought it was luxury. I can yeah. wear my Telfie in, I'm, you know, in Manhattan. They're like, I don't know what that is. I go to Brooklyn. They're like, oh, <laughs> she, she got a Telfie, <laughs> right? Like, we can recognize luxury for ourselves. We, we can, we don't need their approval. We don't have to keep living under the gaze of whiteness. Mm. I say that word correctly. When I say gays, I say G-A-Z-E, not white gay people. Um, yeah, yeah. When you're, <laughs> when you're um, constantly living in, uh, living under the white gaze, don't get me wrong, the white gaze is powerful. The white mm. gaze is why police officers shoot first, right? Like mm. that is a very powerful framework. Um, but we still have the power to live our lives beyond that gaze and continue to live our way lives in a way that's bold and audacious and out loud. I think about this with Black queer communities, right? And how there's been this elevation of house music mm-hmm. uh, through Beyonce's Renaissance. But even Beyonce had to pay homage, right? Yeah. To the fact that this was created by people who society had completely rejected and abandoned at the mm-hmm. height of a, men- a public health crisis yeah. that was disproportionately affecting Black and Latinx trans and um, queer Black people. Mm -hmm. And to see them create an entire culture of celebration and love and joy and beauty in the midst of the horrific uh, neglect and and harm that was inflicted on them um, and continues to be pervaded today via stereotypes and our ongoing just lack of care and concern for Black trans women's lives, right? It's... um, I, I think it's possible for us to create these systems of joy mm-hmm. and to continue like thriving, right? And and not necessarily needing these systems to be on our side for us to, to have that thriving. And also, I don't want to recreate these stale, <laughs> these very stale and bland hierarchies and imaginations that we have. It's like, I think we could create something so much more beautiful and poetic mm-hmm. and fluent and emergent, something that actually reflects human life mm-hmm. uh, when we center our own joy and wellness instead of trying to go after what they have. I don't want what they have. Right, right. Like, wow. I don't want that. Yeah. And can you share, you know, in your research, and I know this is a hard question to ask and distill yeah. it down, but what are some of the negative implications of code switching? Because that's even a polarizing concept within our community. A lot of folks feel that it is beneficial economically and advances their career and their success. Well, I really feel that post-2020, folks have just, you know, with the selective amnesia that white people had and their, you know, quote, awakening, you know, a lot of people are challenging code switching. So what are, from your vantage point, you know, you as a, a psychologist, what are the negative effects of that? Absolutely. Code switching is a cognitive task, right? It's it's thinking about not just what you say, but how you say it. And to do that for a sustained period of time, it's deteriorating to your ability to actually do your job well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're depleting a lot of your mental and cognitive resources. And when you're unable to replenish those resources, there will be effects on things like performance. And you'll actually fulfill some of the stereotypes that you're actively trying to avoid, which is potential incompetence or errors being made. And unfortunately, we know from research too, Black people don't have as many, as much room for errors as right. other folks do in these private sector workplaces, especially. Um, so confirming some of those beliefs around incompetence, even if you make one mistake, it can have devastating career consequences. So again, code switching may help you get the job. It may not help you keep it. 
right? Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're engaging in it for too long. I actually have a research grant in collaboration with some folks uh, at the University of Michigan and Emory, uh, led by Dr. Maggie Hicken, looking at some of the physiological effects of code switching mm-hmm. on our hearts, on our um, ability, our stress response. And we look at issues of like health disparities within Black communities around like uh, heart disease and mm-hmm. stroke and diabetes. These all stem from having an overactive stress response. And there's so many reasons why we have overactive stress responses. Uh, we live in communities that, again, have been neglected and marginalized in various ways. We're exposed to so many toxins and pollutants in our neighborhoods and societies. But we also, even for folks who have, quote unquote, made it, who have their educational credentials and are entering in these higher paying, family sustaining wage jobs, you are now faced with a lot of white people being the only one um, and having to navigate those environments. And that Mm. is a stress response. Um, Mm. I think the most devastating statistics I've read recently are talking about Black women's maternal health. Yeah. A black woman with a college degree is more likely to die in childbirth than a white woman who dropped out of college, or dropped out of high school. Mm. Right, your your child is likely to have low term birth weights, mm. regardless of your educational background as yeah. a black woman, and regardless of your presumed access to healthcare, because the stress on our bodies is so mm. significant and magnified. Um, so, in that in that National Institute of Health study that we have, um, we're trying to look at what the long term physiological consequences of code switching are on our stress and our health and how that can lead to a lot of the disparities that we see. So rather than looking at just the end result that we have these disparities, let's set up some intervention programs. We got to get to the roots. Like what is the root cause of us having these disparities? It could be something as quote unquote simple as not diversifying these workforces, having these ridiculous policies around hair, Mm -hmm. how we can style our hair at work or making assumptions about people based on their hair texture and hairstyle uh, I want to shout out Dr. Sarah Webb's phenomenal work on colorism and texturism. I think this is becoming the newer, uh, not new to us, but <laughs> newer public conversations around the deep-rooted effects of anti-Blackness and, and racism as a whole. When we have all these beliefs around what someone should look like or all these assumptions around uh, what people look like and how that therefore conflates to their value and worth in society. It has devastating consequences on our economic and, uh, you know, health outcomes. So even though, again, like code switching on the surface may seem like something that's easy to use and to access and get by, um, over time, I think it's going to have some devastating impacts, not to mention teaching our future generations that they will never be enough. Right, right. Oh, that's amazing. And see, this is, this is the research that is exciting. And this is the research that I think many more people would be really interested in a career in research. But often, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here. A lot of this type of research is not funded at the same rates that other, you know, like that's a whole other podcast episode yeah. just about that. But this is, I mean, this it's, I have to hold myself back from asking 2011 questions about that because it's just, this is what needs to get those R01 grants and, you know, these, yes. it's, uh, I mean, we can just move on. Cause that got gets- to, right. We just got to grant people to stop asking us for a comparison group. I'm like, you want me to, you, what does white people code switching look like? I don't, right, right, right. That's not, that's not the question here. At all, at all. Just got past that. So, 
Yeah. Oh, and that's uh, and that's a whole other just how research is so racist that, you know, it's the benchmark, you know, these randomized control trial. Like if you don't have an RCT, anything you do in a white supremacist system is not viewed as valid or justified. And that's problematic in its own, you know. Listen. There's so much. There's so I much. know. That's why I was just like, we have to have you on for part two. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the ridiculous things Grant funders have told. <laughs> yeah. I, there's yeah, we will have to have you, Dr. McClooney, on for part two because we didn't even we won't even be able to get into that so folks exactly. can understand. Because a lot of people think, oh, research, you know, it's the air quote equalizer, that it's just about the evidence base. No, it's not. It's not. Because the funders are white, the folks on those boards are white, they're ideology. It just, it's a deep, and it's just, and I know I'm kind of getting on my soapbox and you're the guest here, but it's when will we stop again, the white gaze, G-A-Z-E, they are racist, they will not stop being racist. You know, National Academies, all these, NIH, CDC, like that is, that's how they were established, Listen. That's how they were established. <laughs> U.S. Public Health Service that inflicted our folks with disease to see the progression. That's the U.S. government. <laughs> I, mean, I just have to silence. And when the U.S. government will do that, every implication from that. And it's just, you know, and I'm so the whole system, as you said, we have to reimagine. We cannot keep looking and yeah. I'll get off my soapbox. Yeah. yeah, we gotta have a talk about statistics coming from the eugenics movement. We gotta talk about where birth control really got pilot tested. Yes. Oh, see, that's the whole other. That's oh, when we God, get like, into. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, Child to Take My Hand by Dolene Veldez Perkins. That book. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I don't know that one. I'll have to add that oh. to my list. Okay. Oh yes, it's on my website. Like oh, highly, okay. recommend, highly recommend that book. Oh, wow. And so, Dr. McClooney, when we think of as we're winding down here, and again, we, we you, you all heard it here, part two will be coming. <laughs> when, you know, we think about how Black women can create a life that centers the values that you have expressed here, you know, and the need of rest, while also ensuring economic and emotional sustainability, what are a couple key notes that if Folks don't hear anything from our talk, but if they hear these two, you know, your words of wisdom, what would that be? Yeah, centering our values, it first starts with getting very clear of your values. Mm. And I never realized how much of a research project that would be. Mm. It's like, what are my actual values? Not what I have been taught to survive. I know our ancestors and immediate, you know, my parents, grandparents, the things that they taught us were... Um, what they they taught us the best that they could mm-hmm. or the reality we have. And each generation has to do better mm-hmm. in terms of teaching our children to love and uphold their Blackness and to really love and embrace themselves. And starting from that point to understand your values, not from a place of survival, but from a place of thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so first getting clear on your values, I think that's that's the first starting point. And once you know those, um, my value, for example, for safety and security means that not only am I setting a certain price point for my services so that I'm not working all the time, because I also mm-hmm. value rest and recovery, 
Um, I'm also unwilling to put myself in positions where I might be unsafe. Mm. And that counters a lot of what I've been taught to expect as an educator. Mm. Um, Being a Black woman professor in any space, especially in the predominantly white institutions I've been in, my physical safety has been compromised several times. Mm. Talk about school shootings, uh, which Mm. happen every other day in this country. Um, It's not something I ever worried about growing up in my public, mostly Black schools, because we have too many police officers at our schools for our school shooting to pop off. Mm. um, Because they could probably actually stop it. They just had metal detectors because they assumed we were all criminals. But when I got to these predominantly white schools, and I'm one of the only people teaching about race and racism, (laughs) I was terrified every day Mm. to come to campus when, and I may have pissed off a student who feels justified in protecting and defending their right to silence me, mm. to silence other professors who are pushing the envelope. Um, so that means that I don't accept every opportunity that comes my way if it means compromising my emotional, physical, spiritual safety. Mm-hmm. And, and that, I think, is... It helps me sustain myself economically because now I've become even more strategic about the type of work I want to do, right. the partnerships I'd like to create, how to create sustainable partnerships that are mutually beneficial to myself and to the person I'm working alongside, and to really take away as much hierarchy relationships as possible, which again, I think is an imagination of, yeah. of white supremacy, and to create more even-powered relationships where, yes, we have a transaction. I'm providing a service or a good. You are providing monetary resources. But how am I, in turn, um, not just providing this one talk that excites your people, but how am I pouring into you, the people who invited me, the Black people who are at this institution that I'm giving this work for, um, how am I pouring back into the communities? I think as small businesses, a lot of, of us think that I'm Black and I'm doing this work and that's enough. And you are enough for sure. Mm. But if I'm making money, how am I redistributing that wealth in communities that I care about? Yeah. How can I make that a seamless transition? And I want to shout out DP Digital and my girl, D Fom. Mm. Uh, they are marketing tech guru. And what we're doing is I have to buy marketing tools for my business anyway, like my Google Workspace, for example. of the money I pay every month for my marketing tech tools goes into a community endowment fund for a rural community in North Carolina, near where we grew up. Because that's that, if I'm making money, how am I making us make money, right? It's like, we we can figure out these creative ways of, we we have to have capital, but how can we be redistributing that capital? Mm. And clear that I'm not just out here for my own wellness, Although I am enough and I am deserving for me to be well, but what does it look like to create a system of wellness? How can I practice that, practice equity and justice in my day-to-day life and work? Um, So when I charge my fees, I let people know up front, 10% of these proceeds are going here. Mm -hmm. So it's not just me saying I'm deserving this much because I want to be a billionaire. It's like, no, you're going to reinvest in these communities uh, as we're doing this work. So again, think about a life that what's your values? Mm-hmm. And make sure that it's your values coming from your voice and the things that you need. What does that price point look like to not just sustain you, but also sustain those values that you believe in? And making sure that you live in those values day to day. And if, if something feels like it's going against your values, really question that. Again, become an investigator mm-hmm. of your own life and, and really question what it is that you want. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. 
Dr. Bakuni, it has been a pleasure. I really have enjoyed you being here this episode. And I know our listeners are going to receive so much from this. And I know many will want to engage with you. How can folks find you and connect with you, stay in community? Absolutely. I'm super active on my LinkedIn. Uh, so it's just, you know, Courtney McClooney and my socials for my business are everywhere. They're at Equiwell Partner or Partners um, on all the social platforms. Um, and yeah, you'll find me tweeting and posting about various ways that we need to rest more. Shout out mm. to Hershey, always. Yes. yes. Like putting that deep into our spirit. And it's not just resting and taking a nap. It is like discontinuing participation in systems of oppression <laughs> and, and white supremacy. So shout out to them. Um, but I'm constantly reposting them and their work and, mm. and trying to just continue to encourage all of us to, to do what we need not just do what we need to do, but just to be well. We deserve that. And I hope a lot of Black women take that away from this conversation. Like you deserve, you deserve to be well, to be safe, to be happy, to be whole. You deserve, and you deserve that dollar, the dollars that you want. You deserve all of it. Like Yes, yes. Yeah. I love that. Thank you, Dr. McClooney. This has been wonderful. And thank you all for listening to this episode of the Black Women's Wellness Podcast. Continue to check out our upcoming bi-weekly episodes, subscribe, follow, like, and connect with us. We love engaging with our audience, and so feel free to reach out to us across social or active on IG. Our handle, the T-H-E-B-W-W-A-I-N-C, and reach out to us on our website, the B-W-W-A.com. We welcome your support to continue to help Black women who are stressed, burnt out, and overwhelmed pivot from surviving to thriving. So you can donate to the Black Women's Wellness Agency on our website, on the About section, scroll down, click Donate. And until next time, stay well and remember, our wellness is infinite. Take care.